Well, it's good seeing you all. Happy Sabbath. Um, we are reading from James today. Uh, one of, I feel like everything I read in the Bible is my favorite, but <laughs> this is, uh, it's an interesting text, I think, for a time like this, um, when so many in our church are experiencing different challenges. And even if you're not, it's just a really good reminder of maybe what faith uh, means what it looks like, what it teaches us to to go through uh, difficult situations. So, before I open, uh, before I open up, uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, we want to first of all thank you for all of the blessings that you give us, all of the good things that we so often overlook, um, and we are here both possibly bearing uh, burdens, but also uh, joys at the same time. And Lord, that's the reality of our lives. So I just ask that you be here present, uh, that your Holy Spirit may um, translate, that may explain, that may open our eyes to see uh, what it is that you want to show us uh, this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, if you have your Bibles or digital Bibles, we're in James chapter 1. This is the opening of the letter. In a sense, it's kind of a like a thesis statement, almost telling us exactly what the entire book is going to be about. Um, so, James opens up with possibly, I think, the, the strongest point first, which he will later kind of develop, but... I wanted to read it together with you, um, starting from verse 1. So James uh, chapter 1, verse 1, is an introduction. It just says, James, a servant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because... You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So from the very beginning, it says, James to the 12 scattered tribes among the nations. So already we begin to understand that he's writing to people who are not living at home anymore. These are people who have had to leave uh, their hometowns, their, their, their nation, perhaps their culture and language. And I think about, to put it in context for myself, my own parents arrived here in the States in the early 80s, and they moved somewhere new, and they had to learn a new language. They, you know, they, it's just an entirely different culture. It was a huge deal. And like many families that, you know, came from Central America or South America or, or elsewhere, they had to move, they, they wanted to move here for, for a better life. There was something that was going on back home that pushed them out 
to, to seek a better life, to, 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 to find answers, to find, give their families a better living, right? So that's, that's kind of where, where that came from. Uh, there's larger forces at play, obviously. And so it's the same for these people that James is writing to, right? These were uh, perhaps Jews who had begun to follow Jesus. And that because they started following Jesus, were often kicked out of their synagogues. Like, let's say they kicked you out of church for what you believe in. And not only are they kicked out of their synagogue, but also their entire like nation, culture. They, they have to leave. They, they, they face persecution. Perhaps even, you know, the, the Roman government is, is after them. So they have to leave. There's no safe place at home anymore for them. And I think back to my own experience growing up as, you know, the son of immigrants. You know, at one point in the early 90s, uh, my family found, we found ourselves without a home. And God somehow provided through a member of our church. And we had no idea that that was even a possibility. We literally thought we had nowhere to go. And I think back, and I, I actually owe a lot of who I am to those experiences, to those early experiences as a child when I observed, but I also absorbed everything around me, everything that, 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 that my parents felt, the anxieties, the losses, the pains, as well as the, the joys and the happiness and the wins. It was all just pouring into me. And I think about the early Christian communities that they were exiles, right? And, and, and they were often kicked out of their synagogues. And, and somewhere, somewhere I imagine perhaps there was this, this young Christian Jew observing and absorbing everything that their parents were experiencing. You know, the troubles, the afflictions, the worries, the challenges, as well as the peace and, and the joy experienced by faithfully following uh, Jesus and what he taught. But then there was also the move and the shock of living outside of their hometown, their home culture, and they're, they're kind of just thrown out into the world to, to see if they can, you know, sink or swim. And, and it's to them that James is writing this, this letter, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. It's a message that, that James is trying to broadcast into the the Roman world, like any of you who have been scattered, listen up. Any of you who find yourselves feeling homesick, anxious, scared, alone, away from everything that you know to be safe, listen up. I know, I know you're out there. And today it might sound something like this, you know, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the believers in the cities of Colton, Rialto, right? Fontana, San Bernardino, Loma Linda, Grand Terrace, and beyond. Greetings. And, and, and you're not scattered because of persecution, right? But, but we, we do have these, these challenges that, are, that, are, that we're going to be facing. Uh, for example, you know, this whole COVID thing. We have at many times been at home watching on Facebook like some people are uh, right now. And, and it's this message that is, that is being sent out to, to all of us, to the believers who, who perhaps are experiencing loneliness or anxiety or fear and who are far from safety. So listen up. 
I know many of us are facing challenges, and that's almost always the case. But today there, there seems to be kind of a, a looming heaviness, a cloud uh, over our minds, even as we come to praise uh, God on the Sabbath. Um, there's more people that I can count on both hands that are currently sick. And um, some of them more serious than others, some of them, you know, quite mildly. But it just seems to be all around. And one of the experiences of life that is true at all times is, is that we all deal with uncertainty. It's a part of life. You don't know what's going to happen, ever. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after that. And that, that uncertainty, it, it, it tends to cause anxiety in us. It shows up as fear. And fear has a function, right? It, it, it tends to, it works in a way to, to keep us safe. But it can also affect us in a way that debilitates us. That when we face anxiety or when we're scared about the possible uncertain outcome that, that, that comes in the future, like what do we do? And so I feel like James is speaking to people who are in a similar situation. Yes, they're following Jesus. Yes, they have faith. Yes, they are Christian. Yes, all of these things. But there's always the uncertain tomorrow, the uncertainty of even today that we all must face. And we might be tempted to ignore it, whatever this is, this uncertainty. We might want to distract ourselves with work or with family or even with church to, to kind of like not think about that thing that has been kind of chasing you, <laughs> this anxiety that you can't get rid of, this fear or this, this, this illness or this uncertainty. But Sabbath is about pausing. Sabbath is about stopping long enough to perceive what is truly happening and then to stop a little while longer to ask to see God's presence. Stop longer to see it. James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And my question is, how, James? How? It makes no sense. It's like if I'm struggling and James comes and says, it's all right, Henry, just smile. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all right, James. It's not okay. In fact, you go and say that to someone and, you know, it's offensive. <clears throat> but James is, not trying to be offensive. James is getting at something here. Joy, joy can actually refer to something. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different. We normally think of joy as happiness. And happiness is usually like when everything is going great. When things are amazing, I feel happy. But joy is a, we, we normally say joy is a little deeper. Joy comes from this, this sense that regardless of what the uncertain future will bring, it's rooted in the sense that we're going to be okay. It's rooted in the sense that no matter what tomorrow brings, I am prepared to face it. And there is a, there's a certain like gladness in that moment 
like whenever you face something that's very difficult for the first time and, 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 and you struggle through it and you have a panic attack dealing with it and you, and you feel like you can't overcome it and you go through it. When the same thing happens again, there's a sense that, hey, I know what's happening, I know what's coming, and I know how to prepare for it, and I know what to do, and I'm gonna be okay. And there's, a, there's, a, there's like a, a growing sense of like a self, what do you call it, self-confidence, that it's gonna be all right, or that you do know how to do this. It's like, compare your first day on the job to like three years in. Right? The first day you might be worrying about whether you or not you're going you're gonna to mess up, whether or not you know what to do, whether or not like, someone's going to blame you for something. Three years in, you can be faced with a very difficult situation. And you're like, I know how to deal with this thing. There's a certain gladness. But can you imagine, like, like I said, you can you imagine telling someone to just smile. Like that's, that's not the answer. You know, to the family who's maybe lost a loved one. Or to the friend that's you know about to end the marriage, or to someone who has received a bad diagnosis, to someone who doesn't know where the next meal is going to come from, you can't just tell them just just be happy, right? That that doesn't work. So I think there's an oversimplified approach to tough times that sometimes we fall into, and that's not what James is trying to say. He says, consider it pure joy when you are faced with these trials and challenges, or a suffering or affliction. Why? He says, because you know. There's something we know that allows us to consider our difficulties nothing but gladness or leading to gladness. It makes no sense to someone who doesn't intimately know that this testing of their faith produces something called uh, perseverance. James is not invalidating our feelings or our experiences, right? This is also not a case of the old, everything happens for a reason. Everything does not happen for a reason. But God does make the best out of every situation we are in. God does not require your suffering. But God can and does manage to take our hurt, our fear, our despair, and make beauty out of ashes. Jesus is quoted in the Gospel of Luke as standing up to read from the scroll of Isaiah 61. And, and, and the scripture, uh, he says, is being fulfilled in him as he reads it in that moment. In Isaiah 61, just a few verses says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. He says they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Jesus arrived preaching this. Not that poverty, he didn't preach that poverty or heartbreak or captivity or imprisonment or darkness or illness happen for a reason, 
but rather that there is good news despite those things. And the good news is what Jesus proclaims in word, in teaching, in action, at the table, eating with his disciples or with people that were considered sinners. He, he proclaims it at the moment when he is crucified. He, he proclaims it the moment he dies. He proclaims it when he's resurrected. He proclaims it when he meets his disciples again and tells them, I will come again. So consider it pure joy when you are faced with trials of any kind because you know the good news that Jesus proclaimed, that there is hope for the hopeless, that there is freedom for the captives, that there is peace for those of us who are feeling anxious. And it surpasses understanding. You cannot understand it if you do not intimately know the good news of Jesus. But if you do, if you've been paying attention to Jesus, this isn't difficult theology. This is not complex things you need to study forever and ever to figure out. It's a spiritual understanding. If you understand it, you know how this can be considered a joy. Each challenge we face tests our faith in the good news that Jesus proclaims. Every difficulty presses against us. It brings up doubt that Jesus actually meant what he said, that Jesus is capable to turn ashes into beauty, that Jesus can do what he promised to do. And when you reach the point of saying, as the psalmist, psalmist says in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day sorrow, have sorrow in my heart? And this is, this is the breaking point. It's the moment in which these lines are either true or they're false. This is where all of our doubts will rise to the surface. Yet when they do, we can be sure that joy is on the horizon. We will not always feel forgotten, unseen, anxious, or depressed, nor will we always have trouble. It is here that persevering faith is forged. It is molded by each experience that we have. As the words of Jesus lead us through the storm, we begin to understand more and more. And this perseverance, once unrelenting becomes our uh, a maturity as believers, a maturity that lacks a nothing. I want to lack nothing. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress. I, and there's, there's no shame in saying that, that we, we all are works in progress. And because we are not yet completely mature, and we are not yet completely just lacking nothing. James says we can ask for what we lack. Often wisdom is the thing that we lack. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I don't know how obvious that was. 
but God not finding fault in us when we clearly lack wisdom is called a moment of grace. It also echoes uh, Jesus' teaching in Luke 11, where he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and a door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And he ends that saying, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the Holy Spirit is almost, almost synonymous with wisdom in the scriptures, leading us into all truth. But he's also known as the comforter. So we should be asking God for his Holy Spirit and his wisdom whenever we feel incomplete, whenever we feel we're failing to be strong enough or smart enough or wise enough or good enough. All of these designations exist in us through our own self-criticism that we, we pass off as absolute truth about ourselves and others. Yet this criticism, Jesus completely disregards, for he is the only one who can judge and make things right. And that is why James says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person, person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So do not doubt that you deserve the wisdom or the Holy Spirit, which God is so willing to give us. And I'm preaching to myself now. God as a father and as a coach, which I like to think of him as one, he's not interested in preparing the road for the child, but rather prepares the child for the road. God is not interested in, preparing, in fixing everything for you and making it absolutely perfect and easy, but rather he is interested in preparing you to be able to handle any situation. So do not doubt that you deserve the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, which, which God is so willing to give us. The comfort that we need when the moments when we despair or feel anxious or, or afraid. Because he's so willing to be there with us. Emmanuel, God with us, the Holy Spirit, the comforter that walks alongside you and I, gives us the wisdom we need, coaching us every single day, every single trial that we face. To, to prepare us for what's coming up in the future, to, to, to make us whole, to give us that identity that he's so at work forming within you. And sometimes we ask, why is it so difficult for me? Why am I having to go through these things? Why does it seem unrelenting? Why is it that day after day, week after week, I think I'm getting to the top of this hill, but every time I get to the top, I just realize there's more to go. 
It's like it never ends. And you think this is, this is, this is a sign of God not wanting to be with me. This is a, a sign that I've done something wrong, that God is not blessing me, that God is not with me. But rather, realize that each one of these moments, God is walking alongside you, coaching you, teaching you, building you up, even in the moments when you feel like God is actually not even there. In those moments when you say, how long, O Lord, will you ignore my prayer or my cry? How long will it take for you to listen to me? How, I mean... I've been there countless times, and every time I feel that God isn't there, and yet, He is. And I don't know how to explain that paradox. I don't know how to, how to, how to say, how to make it make sense. All I know is that God is with us, especially in the moments when we feel He is not By using each difficulty as a teaching moment, a parent trains their child in maturity so that they can navigate any challenge, ensuring their success. So do not doubt when you ask for understanding. Do not doubt when you ask for wisdom. Do not doubt when you ask for the Holy Spirit. God wants to give us such things. And God will give us such things. And with these things, God also wants to give us joy and gladness and peace that won't make sense to unspiritualize. You are not unstable. You are not a wave tossed around. You are a child of God. You are a follower of Jesus who continues to proclaim good news. He continues to calm the storm within us, the one which would leave us tossed in the sea, being double-minded. Jesus did not, does not leave us there, even when we are experiencing these things. He prepares us for the storms, even while he himself walks on them, Jesus himself walks on the tossing waves in the middle of the storm, if you remember that story in the gospel. He walks on them as if they were solid ground. And the more you experience these moments, the more you'll be able to remind yourself that challenges will lead to Jesus walking upon these things as if they were nothing that Jesus will be walking towards us to redirect our hearts from fear and anxiety to peace and gladness and joy, to realize that what matters is the moment, that moment that we so often ignore. So many people say that the... the the whole, the whole thing about life is the journey. It's not the end. And I think Jesus is so good at snapping us out of that moment. Imagine those disciples on that stormy night on the boat sinking. He snaps them out of that moment with his very presence. Do you understand in that moment, 
None of this is actually, it has no power over Jesus. And Jesus is on the boat with us. And the following time, because this happens two times, Jesus is not on the boat with them when they face a storm, but rather comes walking toward them. In a previous sermon, I said, this is Jesus training them. The first time he was with them, the second time he was not physically there. Many of us feel as if we're in a storm on a boat with Jesus not physically there. But he is training us to continue to believe and to know, intimately know, that he is not far away. As we begin to maybe lose our way at times, as our anxiety begins to want to take over, as the sadness becomes unbearable, Jesus comes walking to us, even through our storm-filled minds and our thoughts. He does not judge us. He restores us, and he strengthens us. Sometimes I begin preaching not knowing what God wants to show us, not feeling like I am wise enough to tell you how to walk through these things. Um, Because to be honest, I'm not. But what I do know, and I know like, I just, there's just an internal knowing is that every challenge we face, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how sad and despaired we might feel, Jesus can make something beautiful out of it. And the other thing I want to remind you of that we so often get wrong is that God and Jesus do not require our suffering. They do not cause our suffering. Jesus is our savior because he comes to our rescue and our aid. And we might not always get that the way that we want. We might not always get it specifically how we pray for it. But we do receive something every time. And I want to remind you that as you yourself maybe pray for yourself or as you yourself pray for others, remind yourself. Jesus is on his way. He's on his way to answer your prayer. May not answer it the way you're asking for it, but he will. So do not doubt. And when you do doubt, remember that Jesus even walks over those doubts as if they were solid ground.